everybody welcome to another episode of your intention matters the podcast my name of course is still Paul Madot. thanks very much for joining me on this episode today I have Patrick Finn he is VP enterprise sales coming to us from a company called barcodes in the windy city Patrick how are things man great Paul thanks appreciate it hey listen we're recording this on May the 4th I don't know if you're a Star Wars guy but that's like like May the 4th be with you right absolutely we've got a celebratory dinner tonight around. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, listen, that, that pleasure to meet you. Appreciate the time. Do me a favor. Say hi to everybody. Provide a quick intro and then we'll jump into your journey. All right. Sounds good. So yeah. Hey, everybody. Good morning, afternoon, evening, uh, wherever you are listening. And uh, uh, like Paul said, my name is Patrick Finn. I'm vice president of enterprise sales for barcodes. Um, we're a leader in, in our industry where we, we help people solve productivity problems in, uh, in typically warehouse operations with technologies like barcoding, voice, RFID, robotics. Um, for, on a personal level, I'm a family guy, you know, married to, the, to, to my wife for a little over 20 years, two great kids, uh, Cooper and Hunter, who I love to, to watch perform musically, both of them, awesome. and uh, play some golf with my younger son too. Nice. Yeah. Nice, good. Well, congratulations on uh, on the family, and uh, and thanks again for being here. So, you know, Patrick, as we were discussing before we hit record here around the foundation of the podcast, your intention matters, and that's <clears throat> really built on the premise from my chair that nothing is really given to any of us, and most of us in the world of sales never thought we'd even get into it, let alone really sustain a longstanding career. And we have meandering paths and big decisions. And so with that said, uh, I'm looking forward to you sharing your story. You ready to go here? I am. Yeah. All right. All right. So we're going back in time here. Let's go back to early mid nineties, Wisconsin, Whitewater business entrepreneurship. You're playing rugby. Did you have a vision of the, the Rugby World Cup? Did you have a vision for being an entrepreneur? Like, what do you think if we go back, call it almost almost 30 years now, if I can't believe in 94, holy mackerel. But uh, what do you think you'd be doing with your career? Do you have a vision back then? You know, uh, it, it's funny you mentioned the time I spent playing rugby because that that was uh, really something that, that kind of anchored my foundation in, in being a part of a team and, and understanding team dynamics and, and the importance of playing your role on a team. And you know, that's kind of helped me throughout my entire career. I, I really got a lot of great lessons out of, out of playing that sport in particular. Um, but, you know, if I, if I think back to that time in my life, I was an accounting major. My dad was an accountant. He was a CFO of a company. And, and so I was following that same path. And uh, in my third year in college, I decided I wanted to go on spring break to Florida. Never been to Florida. So I decided I wanted to go on a spring break trip, but I couldn't afford it. And so I, I started to research companies that sold spring break trips on college campuses and uh, got in touch with a few of them and found one that, uh, that agreed to let me represent them on our college campus selling spring break trips. And it was, it was that that allowed me to afford to be able to go on that spring break trip myself, right? So if I sold enough trips, I got to join the group that was going. And that was my first taste of selling. And, and when I got back from that trip, I changed my majors. Uh, decided I didn't want to be an accountant anymore, kind of connected, uh, you know, a goal that I had in life with a sales process that I followed and, and decided that that's what I wanted to do with my life. 
at the time any pushback from dad uh, on the shifting majors given that that that's kind of been his vocation none, none at all i mean i think he saw an aptitude and and you know he saw that that was a role that i was going to be a lot more comfortable in than than the accounting role that I, that i was pursuing so i think he saw it before i did nice nice and was yeah. the trip worth it oh yeah yeah, it was fantastic. Yep. I sold them the next year too. Yeah, awesome. Just, awesome. And so, so once you graduated, you were ready to, ready to get out there. Did you jump right into a sales role? I did. Yeah. I mean, that's really all I interviewed for. It, it's what I started to do immediately. And pretty quickly, I gravitated toward technology. Like I was selling a pretty broad uh, book of, of, of products at the time, but where I spent all of my time and where I had the most success was in technology. So that's when I started to really focus my career in the, the technology sector. And what was the first company you worked for? It was a company called Wallace Computer Services that sold primarily pressure sensitive labels and business forms back when business forms were a thing. Uh, Interesting. Pre, pre you know, digital. It's so funny that you say of, that because there's some people wouldn't quite get that, even though it's only been 25 years, it's, right. it's a total shift here. And so uh, did you enjoy that right away? Was it harder than you thought when it's not really a college job to get you to Florida? This is now your career. Did, did you, did you really enjoy, did you take to it or was it harder than you thought? You know, selling the traditional uh, product lines like business forms and, and pressure sensitive labels that, that was all really highly commoditized. It was, um, you know, really price driven. It, it was harder than I thought it was in those categories. And where I had some early success in selling some of the technology solutions that, that we represented um, is one of the reasons why I gravitated toward that segment. Of, of our product catalog. It's because I had, had some early success and there was opportunity for better differentiation. Like I could actually, I could actually sell technology solutions as opposed, as opposed to winning a competitive bid for forms, right? I mean, I was solving a business problem with a technology solution as opposed to being the lowest bidder. And so, uh, so it was real selling and that's what I liked about it. And that's why I gravitated toward it. So, okay. So you, it was harder than you thought. Uh, any regrets around maybe choosing this, maybe changing your major early on in your new career as a salesperson? None. No, I, I, no, I knew this is where, what I meant to, what I was meant to do. So yeah, no, no regrets at all. And, and in fact, all of those accounting classes I took uh, helped. And, you know, ultimately I went on and, and earned my MBA too. And, and all of those business classes helped me to be able to articulate a value proposition, to be able to create a return on nice. investment analysis, all the things that are important to do as a successful seller in technology. And how long was your run at Wallace? Four, a little over four years. Four years. Okay. So that yep. takes us to, if my math is right, late nineties now. Yep. Did you leave on your own? Was it their call? I did. Yeah. I decided, you know, I was working for a company that was about an $800 million company at the time. And I was working, I had now moved from selling generally all products to a specialized sales role where I was selling just this technology category that I was really interested in and really good at. And, uh, and I realized that if I was going to sell technology, I wanted to work for a technology company. So I didn't want to work for a small division of a paper company where we were kind of an afterthought. I decided that I wanted to work for one of the technology companies that was providing us with part of the solution we were selling. So I, I went to work for, at the time, Zebra Technologies. Great. Were you able to stay in the Wisconsin, Chicago area? Yeah. At the time, uh, I was 
I was looking for a job in the Chicago area because my now wife lived down here and I was living in Wisconsin and she was looking for a job up there. I was looking for a job down in Chicago and, and uh, this opportunity with Zebra came up for me first. So, yeah. so I kind of followed her down here and still with her. I forget the interstate between Chicago to, to um, Milwaukee, but I've, I've driven it. I've, what, what's the interstate? 294. The 294. You, you guys yeah. could just pass the 294. You know, that's what you could have done. Right? Hey, how are you? Have a great day. Yeah, we did it often for years. But uh, but yeah, that's that was part of the reason why I was looking to in the Chicago area. Gotcha. Okay. And was the move to Chicago um, a good one for you early on? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved it down here. I, I had to... Uh, we had to make some compromises when it came to what sports teams we were going to support as a couple, but uh, you know, I, I hung on to the green Bay Packers, which is the thing that mattered most to me. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it was not a lot different. I mean, Midwest values are Midwest values and uh, you know, suburban Midwest looks pretty similar when you compare Chicago to, to Milwaukee. And, and that's where I, I've lived my whole life is out in the burbs. You know, Patrick, um, if we, if we talk about the, the move to Chicago in the early two thousands for anybody listening, that was really old enough to remember, you know, we're going through some turbulent times right now as a world, but the early two thousands was no picnic either. I mean, September 11th happened and the ripple effects afterwards and so on. And so, um, how did you manage the, that and it kind of the whole Y2K and then September 11th happens and then you move into half of the 2000 decades. And so how did you manage, you know, the, the, the transition from the 90s to the 2000s? Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was interesting personally, but professionally, we were we were so busy focused on this new emerging category called RFID that I didn't really have time to pay attention to what was going on you know, outside of, of, uh, of, of work, um, didn't have kids yet. So, you know, the, the, I was really laser focused on bringing this whole concept of radio RFID, radio frequency identification technology to market. And, uh, and, and so that's really how I kind of define the two thousands for me is, is, is trying to, to build for the first time a market for RFID products. You know, I'm always fascinated by um, transitions and, and people's paths when they go from individual contributor into leadership, mm -hmm. because I did it when I worked at Xerox and, uh, you know, I was a totally ineffective manager uh, at the time. I managed the way it was like, well, this is the way I did it. So this is how you should do it. It was just totally ineffective mm -hmm. at all. And so I'm curious about the transition from, uh, you know, individual contributor, you're responsible for your own budget and your own sales and so on to moving into leadership. Was that a vision of yours? Did someone tap you on the shoulder to, to maybe sell you on doing this? And what was behind that transition? When did it happen when you went from salesperson to sales leader? Yeah, it was when I, when I made the transition into purely RFID. I joined an RFID startup as their first salesperson, but also as their director of global sales who was responsible for hiring a team. So it was really to, to, to build the sales uh, team for that organization. And I, I took that role because it was in an interesting industry. It was because it was in a startup environment, which, which I really wanted to get a taste of. And, um, and it was a natural career evolution, right? We, we, we sell for a while and then the, the logical next step is to be a sales manager. You wanna tell your parents that you got promoted, right? That's part right. of the, the whole evolution. And, and uh, it wasn't long after I took that role and had my team in place that I realized um, that I still had a lot of years of individual contribution left in the tank, right? And, and so 
you know, I'm glad I did it at the time. Uh, but there were a series of events that kind of brought me back to individual contributor for a big part of my career. And probably the most, most impactful one was a, a, a 10 day trip I took to South America uh, as part of my job. And when I got back, this was 16 years ago. When I got back, my now 17 year old son had spoken his first word and had taken his first step. And I, awesome. missed, them both. I missed them both because oh. I was in South America. So, uh, so, you know, within the next six or eight weeks, um, I had already found my next job that was going to keep me home every night, help me to, to see my kid at the time. And then my kids eventually grow up and, uh, and it was the best decision I ever made. I got back to an individual contributor role, had dinner at home every night, was able to coach sports for nine years with my kids and really, you know, saw the, the most critical years that you can't get back firsthand. Instead. And when was this? This was, uh, oh, 16 years ago. Um, so 2005. Okay. Roughly. Okay. So 2005. So it's interesting that that happened to you. Now, do you think you would have made the transition had you not missed some of those events that you can't get back? Like, were you begging to go back into being an individual contributor, meaning that you didn't really fancy leadership at the time? Or was it more, I love what I'm doing, but I love my family more? It, it was it, it was both, Paul. I mean, that's a really interesting question. It, it was definitely the, the family first in leading me to that decision. But I also was struggling at the time with a lot of the things you talked about with regard to, to managing a sales team for the first time. Expectations were that people were going to do things the way I did. And yeah. they didn't. And uh, at the time, I probably wasn't as well equipped to, to, to deal with that as I am now. So, you know, as, as I got a few more miles on me and, you know, a few more years of experience, um, and had a few more managers so I could sort out, you know, who was effective with me and who wasn't. And, and those lessons that you learn are invaluable in preparing you to take on a, a leadership role, especially in sales, where not every sales professional who gets to the end zone is going to get there the same way. Gotcha. And so if, and, and that's a pretty fair comment uh, that I think probably resonates with uh, most people that are listening to this right now. And so if we, if we, if we, you know, kind of move through your career. I know you had uh, you know, some good runs at uh, Intelliflex, ID Systems, Honeywell. Honeywell is a big company and a global organization and, you know, global brand strength. And so talk to me about, you know, maybe the years leading up to barcodes. And where were you before that? And what was behind the decision to, uh, to join that organization? Yeah, I had spent the previous nine years with Honeywell, where um, you know the the security of working for a Fortune 50 company was fantastic, and you know the credibility that that you had uh, engaging with customers when when you're from a company like Honeywell, who's got a great brand rep recognition, great brand reputation. Um, it, it was all really you know really comfortable and safe. And, and that was good for that time in my life. It was perfect for that time in my life. But having had that experience with startups back 15, 20 years ago, yeah. um, and understanding you know, how some of the passion that exists in those organizations and culturally, they're a little bit different. I missed that. 
And, and so when this opportunity to come back to barcodes, which is more of an entrepreneurial uh, type company, not quite a startup, you know, we're doing a few hundred million dollars in sales a year, but um, it, it was just a unique opportunity at a unique time in barcodes evolution where they had acquired seven companies in 2019. And we're bringing all of these companies together and integrating sales forces and they needed some help and they needed some some experience from within the industry to help make some sense of that. So I came in at a, a really interesting time in barcodes history and uh, and it's been a fantastic experience. You know, Patrick, I'm curious about uh, about that decision because, you know, I worked at Xerox for about a decade mm-hmm. and, and, you know, totally different industry, but from like brand strength to brand strength, Xerox is like right up there in that industry. And I was there almost 10 years in sales across the board, including training. But when I decided to leave the company, I left to start up my own organization. I was a single guy, no, no girlfriend, no wife, no kids. It was just me. And so I was betting on myself, which if I look back, call it 10 years now, you know, it was a much easier choice for me to make because I had a passion for doing what I wanted to do. I didn't have anybody that I was responsible for other than myself, but that wasn't the case for you. You had 10 years, almost 10 years at, at Honeywell, give or take eight, eight, nine years, long runway, global organization. I don't imagine they were kicking you out the door. You probably had a decent runway. You're married, you're a dad. And, and, and you're, you're safe. And so uh, t- was it a long thought out process before you finally made the decision or was it pretty quick? It was a long process. I mean, it was almost a year. Um, but, you know, I think as, as sales professionals, we're inherently risk takers. Um, and I mean, if I look at, at every part of my life, I mean, I've been a bungee jumper, a skydiver, a, all sorts of risk taking behavior. Uh, we could talk about investment strategies that probably are a little unconventional, right? But <laughs> right. Uh, a lot of risky behavior um, because we that, that's how I think some salespeople like thrive. They kind of thrive on that energy. And I had gotten, I don't want to say I got complacent, but I, I needed an, a different challenge. I had, I had achieved, uh, I think, everything I was going to achieve in that role in Honeywell. And, and so the timing was right for me to do something different. I was missing that, that whole startup culture. Mm. And the, the organization that I was going to at Barcodes was run by somebody I had worked for 20 years earlier. So I there see. was still that, that familiarity that if it wasn't there, maybe I wouldn't have. <laughs> All right. So you've been at Barcode now coming up on two years, if I have my math right, summer of 19. Correct. You know, the last year clearly was not anything that we ever expected. And so how have you managed, you know, the first two, the first two years at Barcodes with half of that time really operating in a pandemic, you know, Zoom, WebEx, virtual, and, you know, it's furloughs and layoffs and deaths and all kinds of stuff in the last year or so. And so how have you managed your, uh, your run so far Barcodes? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been a time like no other with the obstacles that have been put in front of us, but we've really uh, managed to get through it, you know, virtually unscathed. Like we, we, we pivoted nice. in a couple of categories. So we, uh, when COVID first happened, you know, obviously we were impacted just like everybody else was, but we also realized that in the technology space, there were a lot of new technology requirements that were COVID driven right? at grocery stores. 
people don't want to go in and shop anymore. They want to pick up their groceries curbside. There's yeah. technology that's required to make that happen. Uh, in order to, to administer vaccines for, for COVID, there's a whole supply chain that needs to be barcoded, right? And that's what we do. Um, so telehealth, people don't want to go in to see the doctor anymore for basic visits. They yeah. can do that now through a telehealth visit and there's technology behind that. So those are all categories that were huge growth categories for us because we embrace them instead of looking at sort of the traditional markets that we served and, and hoping they were going to come back sometime soon. So, uh, so COVID, I think we, we made some great pivots that ended up paying off for us. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, and congratulations for that. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun talking to, you, you know, Patrick, if you've had quite the ride here, you, you have a path and you're going to get into accounting because that's maybe what you were exposed to. And that's what my dad did. So maybe I'll do it. Seems like a good job and I can build a career there. And then you want to go to Florida and you <laughs> You find, well, I'll find sales because I want to go to Fort Lauderdale. You, you, you end up getting the result you want. And here we are, you know, 25 years later, and you, you've had some great runs at different levels of individual contributor, director, manager, VP, back and forth and managing a pandemic. And so, you know, congrats on all the success up until this point. You know, I always like to ask anybody who is a guest on the podcast if there was any piece of advice or feedback, or if anybody listening, you know, Patrick, like what would you say has been your foundation up into this? What's your go-to? Yeah. I mean, I, I think because my journey was a little bit unique in that I've worked for a fortune 50 company for 10 years and I worked for, for startups for a long time. And I worked in emerging technology markets with, with RFID, for example. Um, I, you know, through, through my, College education and entrepreneurship and an MBA. I got I got great education on business, but the experience that I had through developing the RFID market mm. and convincing customers at the time that they should completely shift the way that they're tracking inventory um, was the best edu sales education that I that I've gotten throughout my life, and it was because. Instead of going into uh, a, an opportunity with a customer and competing with one or two or three of your traditional competitors, because that's what a lot of sales campaigns are today. It's I'm going in and I'm always competing with these two or three guys and I'm trying to right. beat them. Instead, through that experience with developing the RFID market, we had to compete with a customer's decision to do nothing, right? What we were really competing with was a customer's decision to I'm just going to keep doing things the way that I have been, or I'm going to shift to this completely new way of managing inventory. We had to get really good at developing and articulating a return on investment analysis and understanding why a customer would make the decision to make that shift. And right. now once you learn that and you go into every sales engagement with that mindset, then you're not just trying to compete with the, the, the traditional competitors in a situation. You're getting deeper into the decision-making process of a customer. Why are you really doing this? Build the Absolutely. Foundation. Why are you really doing this? And what problems are we solving with this technology? And it helps you to articulate your value proposition better than just trying to, to you know, compare yourself to the other three guys bidding on a project. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's a great comment. Uh, Patrick, thanks so much for the time here. Last question. Aaron Rodgers, is he coming? Is he coming back? Oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. 
Who knows, right? That, that that actually have to tell you, man, that kind of surprised me out of the blue that I hear he doesn't want back. And now they're saying we're totally committed to him. And it's kind of been the foundation for a long time, right? Yeah, it has. It, it's deja vu. I mean, if you yeah. think about it, 16 years ago, they had a, a, a three-time league MVP quarterback and they drafted his replacement and he wasn't happy about it. Yeah. And it, it went, it got public and it turned ugly and we all know how that ended with Brett Favre. And, and I hope that that's not the path that we take here with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Well, listen, Patrick, thanks so much for the time. And it's been great speaking with you. You too. Thanks, Paul. All right. You're welcome. All right, everybody. Let's wrap up this episode right now. Remember, your intention matters. Why? Because that's the result you'll tend to get. We're out of here. We'll do it again next week. And from my guest, Patrick, let's go pack. 